Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Good morning, Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning, Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm speaking today with Gary Frankel. He's a graduate student at Texas A&M, specializing in education, policy, and management. So today we're going to be talking about his recent piece in the Washington Examiner, talking about school choice, how it did in the midterms. He's also a contributor for Young Voices, and I will put all of his links in the show notes. So let's just get on to the interview. Gary, why don't you start off by letting everyone know who it is that we're talking to, just in case they haven't heard of you before. (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd assume they haven't. I'm not that important, but uh, my name is Gary Frankel. I'm currently working on my master's in education policy and management at the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University, also a Young Voices contributor, and I write about education and American political theory. Nice. All right. So I saw that you had a piece about the uh, about school choice and in the midterms, and the midterms didn't exactly go how a lot of people were expecting, right? No, I, I, I must admit that I was always somewhat skeptical of the idea that there would be a red wave, but, um, but the lack of a red wave even surpassed my expectations. Uh, it was just not a night that, and a week really that I don't think anyone expected. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, I guess we're still waiting on some vote totals to finish up. I don't know if they've officially called everything yet, but I didn't think it was going to be the landslide. I'm kind of in the same camp that you are. I thought that they were, gonna win handily but i didn't expect to like lose a senate seat and i didn't expect to get maybe one house majority like just like one seat i didn't think that was going to be the case so how did the how did school choice do in the midterms um not not great i guess well some of my compatriots i guess in the school choice movement uh, say that the midterms were a great success for school choice. And I think it was a great success in certain states. I don't think it was enough of a success that you can make a nationwide proclamation, but I think that some states did very well and some states did not. 
And I think it was more of a function of how the messaging surrounding school choice worked rather than school choice itself, because school choice remains and any policies associated with school choice remain very, very popular with many voters. Uh, if you look at Ed Choice's morning consult with uh, education savings accounts, for example, pull up any state and somewhere between 65 and 75 percent of voters are going to support education savings accounts. But there's a big difference in terms of campaigning on school choice between saying, oh, I like school choice and then hashing out exactly how you're going to institute it. And I think that's what made the difference for a lot of candidates and a lot of races. So did we have, did they step away from the strategy that worked in Virginia, I guess, or was that just kind of right time, right place uh, when, uh, with all the Loudoun County stuff coming down at that time, all that momentum just gone by now, I guess? I think it's a bit of both. Um, Glenn Youngkin ran an exceptional campaign that was heavily catered to the specific needs of his state and the political environment of Virginia at that time. That being said, I think he tapped into something that a lot of people are feeling nationally. And there was certainly quite a bit of that sentiment still lingering around prior to the midterms. And I think there were some candidates uh, who successfully capitalized on that. If you look at uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida, Greg Abbott in Texas, they really ran on school choice, especially DeSantis, who has a long resume of programs and opportunities that his administration has instituted for Florida families, and people took notice. And while everybody expected him to win, I don't think anyone really expected him to win by 19. <laughs> and school choice was a major component of his messaging, and it worked. And it worked in a way that can be replicated in other places and was replicated in some other places, but not nationwide, and that was important. Uh, I don't know uh, how far into the details you go on what they're doing in Florida, but what are some of the things that DeSantis has done or the, the state in general has done that you think should be replicated? Is it just the messaging or specific policies as well? It's a bit of both. Um, there's a difference between running on school choice and running on school choice. And DeSantis did the latter because he made it a central focal point of his campaign rather than just something that a candidate kind of throws in there because they think it'll make them popular. He ran on it. He made education a central messaging tenet of his campaign. And he went into the specifics. And the specifics are really important because parents are largely informed about what educational opportunities are available to their children. And they're tired of just receiving lip service from politicians who don't really plan on doing anything. DeSantis, on the other hand, could point to instituting what was at the time the largest private school choice program in the country. He could point to a variety of new programs. He could point to his resistance to efforts to close schools down in Florida during the 2020-2021 school year. Um, he did as much for education. He was as much of an education governor as anybody in the country during that time frame and it came from a data perspective with some uproarious successes and not only did he recognize that he could point to that effectively and that was really important in determining the outcome of this race he won miami-dade county by 11 
which is unheard of for a Republican candidate in the modern era. And I have little doubt in my mind that the education messaging was a major part of that. I, I think you're definitely right. Uh, I will say, you know, I don't pay too close attention to their specific policies, but more what I've heard is DeSantis is a guy who's just came in, uh, of course, uh, what is he? Fascist. Yeah, fascist. Yeah, that's what he is. Uh, that's what I always hear. Of course, he's banning <laughs> he's banning books and he's preventing people from having free speech. And, and that's actually what he's been doing in schools. I hadn't heard anything about any of these school choice initiatives at all. It's all been about banning books. And it's all been about uh, preventing free speech. So this is actually kind of news to me, uh, reading reading your piece that mentions that. Yeah, um, and frankly, a lot of the rhetoric surrounding identifying people as fascists and book banners, it's utterly nonsensical. If you look at a public school district, a public school district is going to have limited resources and libraries in every single school are not going to be able to carry every single book in existence. So librarians, districts, political officials have to make difficult choices about what books to include and what books not to include. And personally, I'm as much of a free speech guy as anyone, and I think people should be able to read everything. But even I wholeheartedly affirm that schools should probably not contain overtly political materials that are bastardized conceptions of high-level critical theory that comes out of universities. Hmm. Um, maybe throw a little bit of sh little bit more Shakespeare in instead. Um, and it's really that political divisiveness that um, DeSantis's policies and really a lot of other governors who attack what they identify as critical race theory. There, of course, there's some nuance to that, but it's a good umbrella term. Um, but what they're really attacking is the promotion and inclusion of unnecessarily divisive materials in schools, considering the limited amount of resources that we have already. That is not book burning. That is not book banning. It's not fascism. And if a parent wants to buy their kid that book and send them to school with it, nobody's going to stop them. I, I really think that uh, at least K through eight, we should focus on learning like the basic things, reading and writing, arithmetic, things like that. Maybe a little bit more thought, ideological thought, once you get into high school, uh, potentially, although anything that I thought in high school was wrong, I can go ahead and tell you that. Uh, but but I guess you can be uh, allowed to think. That's fine. Uh, but when it, when you're pretty young, I just think it's time to learn how to read and write and, and do math. You know, uh, Let's not skip over those things. One thing I've noticed... And I don't know if it's always been like this, but you got people like Randy Weingarten out there that it just obviously blatantly political campaigning for Democrats and campaigning for the left. And when did has it always been like this, that a teachers union, the American Federation of Teachers, just blatantly supporting a specific political party, specific ideology? Maybe this has always been the case, but I've never I've never noticed it this much before. Oh, it, it's been like that for decades. Mm. It it just flew under the radar. People didn't really understand what exactly was going on in the school systems. But as early as 15, 20 years ago, you start having documentaries popping out comparing the teachers union in New Jersey to a cartel. <laughs> uh, in 2016, the American Federation of Teachers got extremely involved in the Democratic primary 
um, on behalf of Hillary Clinton, because Randy, Randy Weingarten and Hillary Clinton are personal friends. And the AFT started attacking unions that came out in support of Bernie Sanders and tried to use their leverage in order to, um, one, marginalize any union that was supporting Sanders. They uh, especially went after this one particular nurses union uh, that endorsed Sanders, and they, the AFT supported a different nurses union that endorsed Clinton. Um, they spend tens of millions of dollars on campaigns every single cycle. Um, in the past, it wasn't quite as extreme, but nowadays 97 to 99% of those campaign donations go to Democrats. Um, it's, it's been a problem for a really long time. And I'm thankful that the general public is finally starting to take notice. And because understandably so, Many people have this conception that anything with the word teachers in it is good because we like our teachers, even in the large scale polls. While people are deeply dissatisfied with the public school system as a whole, they are satisfied with their child's individual public school. And teachers are, of course, members of the community. Many of them do great things for our kids. We have deep personal relationships with them. But I think people are finally starting to understand that teachers and teachers unions are not the same thing. And while teachers are our friends and community members and we should support them, we shouldn't just kowtow to whatever teachers unions want because they're an expressly political body with expressly political desires with leadership who are no longer active in teaching. Randy Weingarten taught for a couple years in the 1990s. She has not been a teacher in a very long time. And the in this kind of break of that association is going to be really important going forward as school choice moves from the ballot box to legislator legislatures next year this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. don't you wish life came with a user manual i know i've needed that many times in the past but unfortunately we don't get that user manual you just sort of left to figure it out on your own and hope you're making the best decisions maybe it's a career change a relationship maybe you're a new parent it's pretty easy to feel very stuck well, we don't have that user manual, but we do have BetterHelp. Therapists can help you figure out that whole stuck feeling, help you build better coping skills and work through your tough decisions. Now, I've done therapy before. In fact, some of the best life changes I've made came while I was talking to a therapist. It was tough at the time, and I know I didn't want to do it. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I am glad that I did it. Now, it's not really about a therapist making your decisions for you, by the way. It's about becoming a healthier version of yourself so you can make the best decisions on your own. As I've mentioned before, our co-host, Charlie, is a consistent user of BetterHelp as well. He loves it, and I know BetterHelp is helping him make it through the tough times. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com GML. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash GML. I, I uh, man, I had so many different directions I wanted to go with that. I guess first off, I'll say my mom's been a teacher for 28 years. So, you know, I love I'm teachers. Hate the, hate <laughs> the union. I love teachers. I hate the union. Um, now, 
back in the old days, I was thinking, you know, I, I brought up this question, the how long have they been politically active like this? Well, some of my favorite gangster and mob movies uh, involved unions, so I guess unions have always been very active. We've just moved away, hopefully, from the car bombs and things like that, but we'll... We'll uh, we'll see how uh, how hyped up they get in the next in the next most important election of our lifetimes coming up here in a couple yes. couple of years. So uh, the other direction I want to go. Are they winning the messaging though? Because I know some some great teachers with more conservative philosophy that still think when it comes to student when it comes to school choice that you are taking money away from these poor school districts and you're going to destroy these schools and all these kids aren't going to have anywhere to go and there's just no way that you can take money away from them and give it to this this nice other school over here how do you win in that messaging battle yeah and there are some who are going to be swayed by statistics um, one that I often love citing is that since late 60s, early 70s, uh, public school spending has gone up by more than 270%, and that number is adjusted for inflation. However, when adjusted for inflation, teacher salaries have remained almost completely stagnant. So teachers already aren't going to be receiving significant benefits from just, quote unquote, supporting the existing public school infrastructure as it is, because any extra funding that public schools received is going to go towards creating more administrative positions, <laughs> which often have very high salaries, even though those administrators aren't really doing anything, as opposed to the teachers who are working with their kids on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, that's a problem. The other side of it, and uh, my friend Daniel Buck at the Fordham Institute has wrote, written a lot about this, is that school choice is good for teachers too, because we get very fixated and for good reason on this idea that it allows the student, the family to pick the type of education that best suits their needs. Well, that works for teachers too. If a teacher has a great love of Greek or Roman philosophy, they can go work for a classical school. If a teacher has a great love of uh, STEM or mathematics education, uh, they can go work at a STEM school. If, um, if a teacher really likes kind of that hands-on supportive learning, they can go work for a Montessori. And the more schools that we open and the more types of schools that, that we open gives a greater variety of choice for teachers. And with more competition, there is reason to believe that their salaries would go up. Maybe not as fast as some government, some governor making a promise and signing some bill increasing teacher salaries by $25,000 into law, but it would be an organic market process that offers significantly more choice in the process, thereby benefiting both students and teachers. And so for those who will not be swayed by statistics, I think every teacher desires a school in which they could teach in a way that they are personally comfortable with. And not every teacher has that opportunity right now. So that could be a really good selling point at the state level going forward and counteract some of the nonsense that comes from the teachers unions about how all public schools are going to be poor and broke forever and all the children will be sad. <laughs> it's it always amazes me anytime i see any posts about this people say well we just need to fund our schools we're just not giving enough money towards the schools 
That's a joke. I mean, like the the stat that you brought up, I've seen that a bunch of times. And you see the graph. I think that uh, I think it was Cato put it together on the uh, over two hundred percent increase in funding, and then you see the test scores just kind of flatline since then. No no real change. It's all going to administrators, unfortunately, and and the administrators and the unions are doing a great job uh, placing blame elsewhere when talking to their teachers that are upset with their pay not going up say oh i don't know i don't know what happened to the money we're just not you know we're just not getting paid enough money right now uh we had to hire an assistant uh to the assistant for the principal the vice principal uh, and the associate (laughs) vice principal over there they all they all needed their own administrators too of course i know we've only got 200 (laughs) people in our school but yeah we needed that Sorry, sorry, I'm just kind of rambling on right there. I, I get amazed that we've made it this far. I mean, the Department of Education, if I were president, just day one, just gone. I don't, I don't, I don't want it anymore. I don't know where you come down, but imagine the founding fathers, they wake up, it's 2022, and they, they look around. How shocked are they, one, that they're alive? That's crazy. Uh, two... <laughs> What's the internet? That's nuts, you know. But also, what about the size and scope of the government? Let's let's take out all the other obvious shocks they would have, and let's just see what their reaction to our government today. Uh, I'm pretty sure they would be um, domestic terrorists pretty quickly, in my opinion. But what, what do you think? Jefferson can tell you to put him back in his grave immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they would be a little bit shocked, right? A little appalled. Uh, they, m- most of them, at any rate. I think the only one I can think of immediately that would be pretty happy with how things turned out is Hamilton, Hamilton. Yeah. and he's got a litany of his own problems that, <laughs> <laughs> from both an ideological and a practical perspective. So I'm not sure if we should be evaluating everything based on what Hamilton would have thought. Sorry, Lin Manuel <laughs> Miranda. Um, but no, most of them would be mortified. Um, even Adams, who proposed a public school system not entirely dissimilar from what we have now, would be horrified by the way that things have turned out. Madison would hate all the factionalism. Jefferson would have hated government everywhere. Um, Payne would have been somewhat pleased, but he still would have had too many problems with the factionalism and then definitely our military escapades as well. Um, it... <laughs> rolling in their graves does Mm -hmm. not begin to describe i think the reactions of some of them especially jefferson yeah i um i try to think about that a lot because one thing that we talk about on this show and i don't know where you come down like politically i'm not a member of political party myself uh but i i i like to try and remind my very my very conservative friends that the uh the founders i think would be pretty upset with a lot of things that republicans do as well, even though they 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 tend to pay a lot of lip service to uh, what the founding fathers believed, and uh, I try to remind everyone that at least uh, I think they might be a little bit more libertarian than people would give them credit for. And just to keep that in mind, because what I've noticed is Republicans and Democrats seem to like growing the government. Republicans slower than Democrats, I will admit that uh, for for sure. Uh, but what do you think the ro- the the road out of this? And I guess specifically with schooling, what do you think it is? Is this state by state instituting school choice, my libertarian dreams of getting rid of the Department of Education? That's never going to happen. But maybe we render it useless. I don't know. What What do you see? 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you. If I could sweep away the de- Department of Education with one stroke of a pen, I would. But um, it's definitely going to have to happen by state by state, as it should. Um, the founding fathers designed a country that was supposed to rely on local and state governments for almost all of the basic laws and provision of services, while the federal government was meant to have some taxing authority, have some authority to settle disputes between states, um, manage the domestic and national security of the entire country. But the basic tasks of day-to-day governance were supposed to lay almost exclusively with local and state governments. And I think that return to localism is something that we desperately, desperately need and is something that we're already seeing to a certain extent. Because what you have is voters in a lot of states who act a lot differently when they're voting in state elections versus voting in federal elections. If you look at the New England states, for example, they really, really like divided state governments with a Democratic legislature and a moderate Republican governor. They will choose a Democratic governor over a not moderate Republican governor. But if given the choice, they want a moderate Republican governor and a Democratic legislature. You see that all over the Northeast. Um, Arizona, for example, it's starting to trend blue on the national level, but they still really like having a conservative legislature. Carrie Lake was just she ran a good campaign, but she wasn't the right candidate for that state. And that's one of the reasons why she's struggling so much. Um, Louisiana acts very differently on the state level than it does on the national level. And localism is important because local and state governments understand what every individual community needs or requires. The federal government doesn't have that understanding. They'll send some managerial bureaucrat in from Washington, D.C. to just tell everybody how to solve their problems and then offer no money to do that. and the path forward should be localism. You know, having a from a political perspective, having a unified national message is important. But that unified national uh, that unified national message should be qualified for what works in every individual state. Nominating a super Trumpy candidate in Maryland or Massachusetts isn't going to work. (laughs) Nominating a super moderate candidate isn't going to work in a state like Alabama or Texas. We should keep in mind what works in every state and have our political system be a coalition rather than whatever you want to call the mess that it is now. So what do you do you think that that's what happened in this recent election? Do you think it was just mismatched candidates, it just bad candidates for the areas that they were running in? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania right now. Dr. Oz was not the right candidate <laughs> for Pennsylvania. Um, look at Arizona. Blake Masters was not the right candidate for Arizona. I don't understand the Arizona GOP's obsession with nominating and supporting candidates who just really hate John McCain. <laughs> and no matter what you think about John McCain, it seems like he's exceptional. Arizona is a bad state for that. Arizona is a bad state to nominate specifically anti-John McCain people. 
I would say. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to nominate your super anti-John McCain guy, do it in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> because in Arizona, it just doesn't work. Um, and I, Florida, this past cycle, nominated candidates that were right for Florida. Texas had candidates that were right for Texas. And that's part of the reason why the GOP comparatively did so much better in those two states than they did elsewhere. If you look at the Texas governorship, for example, Abbott is somebody that everybody knows and understands. He's not a super Trumper, but he's not a moderate. He's just a traditional sort of conservative, which is what Texas likes because Texas doesn't like moderates and Texas doesn't go for super Trumpy. <laughs> Texas likes good old traditional conservatives, which is what Abbott is. And despite Beto O'Rourke spending $60 million on his campaign, he lost by 11. <laughs> That's because Texas nominated and supported candidates that were right for our state. And because school and turning it back to school choice, school Texas is traditionally not a school choice friendly state. But ever since COVID, it's become a heck of a lot friendlier School choice candidates won primaries up and down the state. And instead of saying, well, you're wrong, the Republican Party of Texas supported and enhanced those candidates. Almost all of them won their elections. Um, as bad as the night was for the Republican Party in a lot of the country, they had a really good night in Texas. It mm -hmm. surpassed what their expectations were which is not something you, that could be said for this midterm. And Florida was the same. It's, it's a matter of knowing your constituency and knowing what they will go for. And I think both parties have a really difficult time understanding that right now, though I will say that the Democrats are probably a little better at it. Yeah, except for that whole Beto O'Rourke guy. Uh, the worst, you know, the, the most difficult thing is that we're running out of things for him to lose. And I'm starting to I feel, know. you know, I'm starting to feel kind of bad for him. Like uh, we're going to have to create some more offices because he needs to lose more. I guess he could do the mul multiple things multiple times. I don't know. Uh, but I was glad to see, uh, I was glad to see Abbott win by 11 and see uh, DeSantis win by 19 or 20. I mean, uh, I think you're definitely right on having the right candidates there. I'm not sure if the GOP is great at reading the room, uh, reading the audience, all that, all that well. Um, I, I think they got to be careful with the super Trumpy candidates. In my personal opinion, I'm ready to move on uh, some, somewhere oh, else. I don't know where you're at on that, but I, I'm over it. I'm with Just you there. Sick of talking about it. <laughs> I, I'm ready to move on, and I hope a lot of other people are too. Uh, so, hey, I think this has been a really good talk, some, and I really want you to come back sometime when we get some more news going with more school choice initiatives or whatever else it is that you, you talk about. I don't know if this is your only thing, but, hey, I'm here recording every day, so let's just do this more often. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Uh, tell everyone where they can go to uh, keep up with uh, your writing or whatever else it is that you're doing. Everything I do, you can find you can find me on Twitter. It's at F R A N K E L G A R I O N. Okay, on Twitter, that's the place to be until the until it gets destroyed. I read on New York Times it was going to be gone pretty soon, so I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Just kidding around, Gary. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me.